So we're, um, if you're going through the book, Gentle and Lowly, we're up to chapter 19 now, and uh, hopefully you've been enjoying that over the, the time. I find it's a book I like to sort of dip into again every, every now and again, and I must admit reading chapter 19, this is where we're up to when we're focusing on John 13 verse 1, which we'll, we'll just look at the scripture in a minute. But uh, I found that yeah, really one of the... One of the most powerful chapters in the book, so it's worth having another read of that if you've been going through, if you've been going through that. So, we're looking at uh, this verse then today, John thirteen verse one, where it says, "Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own." who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And it's that last little phrase there, he loved them to the end, that uh, particularly wanting to sort of focus on. So, Father, I pray that you'll help us just as we share a few minutes together, just thinking about that verse, thinking about you, you loving your own, loving those that are your own, to the end, and what that means. And I pray that as we've been hearing during the worship time just lots of words that you've been bringing just affirming that you are you are all we need and that we can rely on you completely that you're so much bigger than all our challenges your love is so much greater than ours and uh, that we can rely on you even when we feel um, weak in ourselves we do thank you just for your constant reaffirmation of your sufficiency to us, Lord. It's a wonderful thing to dwell on and to think about and to be strengthened by. So I pray that you'd help us just as we look at this verse together, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So I guess the first thing to... I wanted to look a little bit at a who or what and a why of, of this verse. And um, I guess the first thing is who who is he talking about? Well, he said he loved his own. Well, obviously in the immediate context it's talking about just the the disciples that he he chose says he chose the 12 who he wanted to be with him so these are people who jesus has called to himself i guess for most of us maybe all of us i don't know there may be someone here today who's not yet found or heard the voice of christ calling them uh peculiarly particularly you know, for salvation to come to know him. But for most of us here, we're also his own. You know, he's called us. And he calls us the same way as he called the first disciples. There's, it's God's initiation. It's he, 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 it says that he chose those that he wanted to be with him. And it gives the account, doesn't it, in the Gospels of him calling different ones and saying, come follow me, come follow me. It's a very reassuring thing to know we're called by God, isn't it? You didn't just stumble into this. You didn't just have a religious moment or you're not just wired that way because you're that kind of a personality. There's nothing to do with that. You could have been the most irreligious, godless atheist on the planet. And Jesus says, come follow me. And something happens in your heart because he brings the dead to life, just like he brought Lazarus out of the grave. It's that, it's that, big, it's that same principle when we become Christians. We're dead spiritually. And he says, come forth. Lazarus comes out of the grave, probably like we did, still wrapped in a load of old muck. Then he untakes all the bandages off and cleans us up, and we follow him. That's how it works, isn't it? So these were the first ones 
he called and loved. And he called them, he loved them, he cared for them, he shaped them. He lived with them for three years. Can you imagine that? Living with Jesus every day for three years and just walking with him, doing, doing your life together with him. And then it says, now as he faced his own end on earth, it says, having loved his own who were in the world, so that three years he'd loved them, he cared for them, he'd looked after them, even though they'd not particularly been <laughs> always the best, the best followers, but he loved them. And then it says, having loved them, he loved them to the end. Now what's he talking about there? He's not talking about the end of the world, he's talking about his end. He's talking about the cross. As he faced the cross, he loved them, even facing the cross. Now, there are limits to most people's love, aren't there? You know, as, as human beings, I mean, it says in the Bible, you know, maybe someone might give up their life possibly for a righteous person or for, for a cause. And they might think that, you know, a sacrifice they're willing to make, to give, to give your life for something noble. But the Bible says, but God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were sinners, while we were really not worth saving, Christ died for us. His love went beyond what you would imagine any human being's love to go, to, to the heights to go through. And I think we've got to just be... Yeah, be very thankful for that, that if our salvation depended on us, how weak we'd be, wouldn't we? There'd be even less of us here. <laughs> there are. You know, we'd be, we'd be very faint-hearted followers. If, our self, if it was about us keeping up our salvation or our, our love being the thing that kept us to him, there would be times in life when we'd be very, very wobbly. I came, was told of a survey from the Barna Institute, which are normally very accurate surveys. Um, someone I was with this week, I haven't actually seen the survey myself, but you know, reliably told. So there's a survey of uh, American church life at the moment since COVID. And one third of all church leaders have resigned in the States. A third. 30% of leadership that was in the churches is now no longer there. Because people have just been knocked sideways by COVID, all sorts of pressures, all sorts of challenges, the challenges of trying to lead through a pandemic. What do we do? How do we do this? I was with someone the other week who's just recently just got back from America, and they were saying they visited one or two which would have been mega churches and these vast car parks that used to be filled with cars, now vast empty spaces of tarmac with just a few cars on. It's really shaking, isn't it, when you hear it? You think it's not just lower stuff where we think, oh, it's a bit wobbly. The whole world's been shaken. You've been shaken. I've been shaken. It's massive, isn't it? You think of, the, of Peter and the disciples around that fire when the heat started to come on Jesus. And they said, well, you were with him. You were with him. And Peter says, don't know who he is. Never met him in my life before. He'll run away. Even even Jesus, even Peter says to Jesus, even if everybody else, even if the whole building clears, I'll be there. He's the first one who ran off. Now, it's not to say that to condemn us. It's just to say, I'm very glad my salvation doesn't rest on me. Aren't you? I'm very glad the future of this church and the future of God's church in the world 
does not rely on the resources we have within ourselves. It doesn't. It relies on the fact that Jesus, having loved us, and having loved them, loved them to the end. Loved them to the uttermost of what was necessary so that what his desire for his church is, will inevitably come to pass. That's why even in days of coronavirus and all the shaking that's going on in the world and, you know, how is the church supposed to navigate these times, generally speaking? How, how are we going to come through all this? Our confidence doesn't rest on someone coming up with a bright idea. Praise God for that. Our confidence is in that Jesus has made promises that of the increase of his government and peace, there'll be no end. Even if there was just like, and it's the story of Gideon, isn't it? That Mary was sharing earlier. God was demonstrating the fact, Gideon, I don't need your help. I just need your obedience. I don't need your resources. Just need you to listen to me and do what I tell you. So his love, thank the Lord, is so strong that we can't really even completely comprehend it. We often love to the limit of maybe how we're treated by someone else, don't we? Jesus loved beyond that. He loved beyond Peter's running away. He loved beyond the disciples doing all the things that disappointed him. He loved beyond that. And here he came to his biggest biggest test in his life, faced the cross for us. And he was found not to have a limit to his love. There is no limit to Jesus' love, even the cross. He didn't even hold back a bit of life for himself, but he gave his life for us. God so loved the world. And this is the measure now seen that he poured himself out for you and me, demonstrated it. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means God doesn't tolerate us. He loves us. We're not a disappointment to him. He's not looked at coronavirus and said, well, you're a faint-hearted lot, are you? It's not, you know, he hasn't looked at the American church and thought, oh dear. He's, he feels tenderly. We all have vulnerabilities, frailties, difficulties. Just like the first disciples. But he loved them to the end. He loves us to the end. And all that Jesus had been through before, tiredness, the hunger, the opposition, the difficulty, that was a bit like a walk in a cold, drizzly day compared to the drowning he was about to go through. It's a bit like someone shouting an insult to you on the way to the guillotine. For him, this was, this was where it really, really started to cost. And that's why in Gethsemane, you know, just racked with anxiety and the trauma, the trauma of having to embrace the cross. He had to really go through a moment where he could have walked away. But here's the thing. He had you in mind. He had you in mind. And that got him over the line to say, Father, nevertheless, not my will, but yours. Did you realize you were loved that much? It's breathtaking. Now, you know, sometimes we might then think, about, well, perhaps it wasn't just me, it was lots of other people. He was thinking about, he was thinking about the, you know, the collective achievement. No, no. He loved you and me. That's the who of this story, of this verse. 
But what about the what? What happened at the cross? Having loved his own to the end, the end being the cross, what happened there? Well, when when Christ, when I try and explain this, using choosing my words carefully, as best as I can. When Christ took on our sins, God felt, God the Father felt toward him how we feel towards the perpetrators of the most heinous crimes. So, even just this week, that dear little boy, I mean, I struggled to think of anything I'd heard since World War Two, <laughs> of you know stories that come out of that and other you know acts of war that take place. I, I'd struggle to think of anything more vile, anything more almost beyond belief. Am I the only one? Did you not feel that? I, I, I almost couldn't watch it. I almost couldn't listen to it. I almost thought this, this is beyond the worst depravity I can imagine any human being has sunken to. And yet we know across the world, across many generations, it is just typical of evil and wickedness. And when we view something like that, we feel compassion for the little boy. And compassion, if it's pure, inevitably leads to righteous anger. You follow me? Anger isn't always wrong. Because if something vile and sinful and evil has been done and our compassion comes out towards the victim of that, it should lead to righteous anger. And righteous anger should lead then to wrath, where justice is then brought. And we see that very faintly in the the, the criminal justice system. But for God, the Father, all of the vileness of humanity was placed upon Jesus. So he became the perpetrator of it in terms of his ownership of it. It was placed on him. Isaiah 53 verse 6 says, The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He became legally responsible for it. That's why he's in Gethsemane agonizing, not just about dying, not just going through the death process, but having visited upon him everything that you and I and everyone else, all of our contributions to the mountain of vileness that the world is is without God, was placed on Christ. Why? Because he loved you. You think, well, how does that work? Well, it, was, it enabled the fact that when you and I should have stood in the dock facing the righteous anger and wrath of God for our own portion of sin, and you might think, yeah, well, I haven't done anything as bad as those people. No, but whether you live in the gutter or whether you're on the mountaintop of righteousness, you still can't touch the stars. Still, we still fall short, all fall short of the glory of God. It's not by degrees, is it? And yet Jesus had it all visited on him. God poured out his righteous wrath. People sometimes struggle with the wrath of God. The wrath of God is the very pinnacle of what love should look like. 
Because love stirs compassion. Compassion stirs, stirs righteous anger. Righteous anger must visit itself with wrath and justice and, and righteousness. Otherwise, it's not genuine love. It's compromised. This pure white glowing glory of, of God's love has to respond to sinfulness. And Jesus had it visited upon him so that the righteousness that was his could be placed upon us. So we no longer have to face the righteous, the righteous anger of God. God's wrath will never touch us. If you are in Christ today, you have been declared not guilty. Why? Because everything you should have been punished for was punished on Jesus. That's the gospel. And how you think, well, you know, sure we must go through some really big ritual to get that. And man, you've got to be up here to really... Whoever believes in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. To as many as receive him, he gave the right to be called children of God. It's so simple. People miss it. Think we've got to be religious. Got to do good. No, you couldn't do good. That's why you needed to be, we all needed to experience the wrath of God. Even the fact we think we can do good is pride. We have nothing to bring. But he did it all so that we could be inheritors of his righteousness. If you're a Christian today, you are as righteous as Jesus in the sight of God now. I mean, that is, is that not extraordinary? Even when you feel like, whatever. Even when you really, maybe through this time you thought, I don't know if I can keep going on with this Christian business. I can't be bothered. Really feeling cheesed off. Even then, he knew you were going to feel like that even before he died for you. Every corner we can go around to say, oh, perhaps I've disappointed him now. He think, no, I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> we surprise ourselves with our... We disappoint ourselves, don't we? We certainly disappoint each other. We disappoint ourselves, but at every turn where we disappoint ourselves, Jesus said, yeah, I knew you were like that. That's why I died for you. <laughs> We're never going to surprise him with anything. He thought, ooh, crikey. Yeah, I didn't know you were that bad. Never going to, never, never. Even the thoughts, the things that most make you think, I'm wretched. He says, yeah, I know. But I loved you to the end. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you can't out-sin him. You can't. You might think, yeah, but I am really, you don't know. I am really, really, really bad. He knows. That's why he took it for you. Do you know what? It wasn't that Jesus had oxygen withdrawn from his lungs and that's why he died. No, what killed Jesus on the cross was the withdrawal of the love of the Father. So he went through hell. He experienced hell, God-forsakenness, which is the definition of hell. God-forsaken life, God-forsaken presence, God-forsaken existence. God-absent. We don't realize what that is because we still live in a world where God's grace is visible, even in its brokenness. But if God withdrew his spirit, that's the definition of hell. And Jesus said, why have you forsaken me? Why am I in hell? Well, he knew why. 
He knew why. He was God forsaken. And as uh, commentator um, B.B. Warfield says, he died on the cross, not of the cross, but of a broken heart, separated from his father by our sin. So then, why did he do all that? Well, as I've said, because he loves us, but I love the way it says it in this uh, in this uh, in the book it says uh, so the ugly ones could be made beautiful <laughs> do you feel ugly well you're not you're beautiful according to this look in the mirror tomorrow morning and go i am beautiful <laughs> you might want to try that after you've had a shower and sorted yourself out start before i am ugly then start after i am beautiful see the transformation Our heaven was gained through his hell. Our entrance into love was through his loss of it. I love that. Let me just read. This puts it so better, much better than I can. Um, For his own, for his own, Jesus himself endured that punishment. He set his heart on his own. They are his. And quoting John Owen, um, the writer says, There is not the meanest, the weakest, the poorest believer on earth, wrote John Owen, but Christ prizes him more than all the world. Christ loved his own all the way through death itself. What must that mean for you? Well, it means first that your future is secure. If you are his, Heaven and relief is coming, for you cannot be made unhis. He himself made you his own, and you can't squirm out of his grasp. And it means, second, that he will love you to the end. Not only is your future secure on the basis of his death, your present is secure, proven in his heart. He will love you to the end because he cannot bear to do otherwise. No exit strategy, no prenuptial agreement. He'll love you to the end. That's great, isn't it? So whatever else is going on, for you, for us, for the church more broadly, these very shaking times that God is taking us through, and uh, just when you think it's all over, it gets another wobble, doesn't it? You think, oh. So many things being shaken. But maybe that's because God is shaking all things so that only that which cannot be shaken will remain. Because God is more concerned about our relationship with him than he is about anything else, to be honest. And we may have been stripped back in all sorts of different ways. But if out of this, if out of this, we come through it with a deeper, closer awareness of what we've already known to be true, but somehow it's burned with a greater intensity upon our hearts, I would say that's worth it. Wouldn't you? I mean, it's a tough call, 
think this is rubbish like it is now. But if, you, if we come out of this and somehow we know and feel and are touched by the awareness of God's love for us in Christ more than we were before it all, through the, the shaking. Sometimes God does shake us, doesn't he, in life individually. The shakings that happen in our own lives. But he's shaking everybody at the moment. But maybe if we come through it with something greater than wood, hay and stubble, we come through it with some gold because our relationship with him has somehow been deepened and because of that relationship with each other is deepened, because of that our missional thrust into the world is deepened. Because mission only flows out of relationship. You can't, you, you can't go and tell people about Jesus with full vigor if you're not speaking out of, it's out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks, isn't it? So if God is perhaps doing something in our hearts that eventually, ultimately, one day will lead to more fruitful mission, maybe, maybe that's the great strategy of Jesus at the moment that we don't see at the moment because he's still working out his purposes. Anyway, let's, let's pray together and then we'll break bread. Ben will just lead us in uh, breaking bread. Yeah, Lord, well... I'm very thankful, Lord. We're very thankful that we are your own. (laughs) Goodness me, where would we be now if we weren't your own? If you hadn't put your hand on us and saved us and chosen us. And we think of so many of your people in many churches, many situations we hear of where so many people are struggling, perhaps not even coming along much, not really very confused Many of us, Lord, who are here are confused. Um, Lord, we need you at this time. We need you to, and we thank you that you've always managed to bring redemption out of seemingly impossible situations. Look at what you did with us. We were lost cases, but you brought something beautiful. You've put treasure in an earthen vessel. And we pray, even for us as a church, would you put treasure in an earthen vessel? Would you put some, some fresh treasure in an earthen vessel so that it really does, that the treasure becomes the thing that everyone views and sees and is impacted by? Lord, we're very, we're very full of clay. We're very, we're very earth, <laughs> very much of the earth. Lord, but if you could just get hold of us and shape us and let the treasure be the thing that's more visible than anything else. That would just be amazing, Lord. That would attract people to the treasure. There's nothing about us that will attract anyone. But Jesus, if you be lifted up, you will draw all men to yourself. That's what you said. So, Lord, whatever you're doing, not only through in us, but across all the churches, across many nations, stories and things I hear, Lord, it's, it's the same things are happening everywhere. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would bring something amazingly glorious out of what we're going through now that makes us think, wow, only God could have done that. Deepen our our love for you, deepen our awareness of your love for us. And in doing that, let your love, let our love for you be stronger. Pray for folk in our own church. We're struggling at the moment, Lord with all sorts of things. Lord, let your love burn bright 
in their awareness. And let them be one again to that deep relationship that you long for with us, Lord. We, we pray for each other. We pray, Lord, that your will would be done and your kingdom would come here on earth in this place as it is in heaven. We ask this, Lord, for your glory, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.